0: Welcome to Women of Color Talk Biz Show, Walk, Talk, Biz, a podcast, coming to you from the San Francisco Bay Area in California. I'm your host, Monica Barriga wires I'm a digital content marketer from LA, transplanted to the East Bay this podcast show is a weekly interview style format released every thursday this is a place where women of color listen in on the hidden rules of business how-to strategies and journeys women have taken in their careers and small businesses we'll also explore how to work around bias and be your whole self while still staying professional if you don't give up easily you believe in paying it forward and you don't take your wins or heroes for granted This show is definitely for you. Our allies and expats are included in our shows periodically, especially friends who have been showing up for women because we believe sustainable visionary work happens person to person in a community. Join us. Go to walktalk.biz. That's W-O-C talk.biz where you can subscribe to our free podcast, get access to our upcoming community group and speaking topics, or just direct message me on LinkedIn or Instagram.
1: My guest today is Anya Kanifolska, an expat from Ukraine. Anya Kanifoska's career path in the U.S. started with a move to New Jersey from Ukraine in 2010 to work in an internship with an IT company. After a year and a half, Anya moved to California where she began to study project management and worked in the localization industry for three years as a program manager servicing a Fortune 100 client. Recently, Anya joined a software e-commerce company as a project management office analyst, where she coordinates the efforts of building products and financial reporting for investors. Today, she'll discuss similarities and differences she finds with women of color, her views on modesty and queenship, and how to leverage starting a new job from home during COVID-19. And I bring her here to you today because she said something to me that struck me. She said she can identify with women of color and their challenges. Now, I don't suggest that immigrant struggles are exactly the same as women of color in America, but today we'll look at the commonalities and some differences based on the stories of real people, real women in the workforce today. Thank you for joining, Anya. I'm so happy you're here. I'm just curious, um, why did you make that comment on our last conversation when we met up? And can you explain to us what it is that you see as an immigrant or expat? Describe your experience for us, please.
2: Sure. Uh, Thank you for having me on your show, Monica. I'm excited to share my perspective uh, and hopefully bring some valuable thoughts as well. And uh, the reason I made that comment is, um, and and let me say that by no means, uh, I mean that my struggles are the same as those of the women of color. Uh, Our struggles are unique. Um, But the reason I made that comment is because just like women of color, I feel that I, as an immigrant woman from uh, my country of origin, which is Ukraine, as you mentioned, that we, that both groups come from an unprivileged uh, background. And uh, let me explain what I mean. I was born in the Soviet Union. And I am a millennial, just as a side note, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
2: I was born, uh, I witnessed Soviet Union, the, the, uh, the time when it fell apart and Ukraine became independent. Uh, I participated in peaceful protests uh, for Ukraine to remain independent, which yeah. turned into revolutions. So I was the part of two revolutions in my lifetime. I was able to learn the history of Ukraine throughout those times more. And what I learned about uh, my um, country of origin is that there was a time when Ukrainians actually were, uh, we had slavery. Uh, We had a lot of prohibitions uh, for the Ukrainians uh, where we could not even own passports, uh, any identification or build wealth. Uh, Where I'm going with this is that there is a gap between ukrainians and the rest of the world western world Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of building wealth and the reason i'm saying this i draw a parallel between what ukrainians experienced and people of color and specifically women of color experienced in the united states based on what i learned is that um, women of color are experiencing multiple difficulties. Uh, and historically, they had a hard time getting into schools, just just being noticed and just having the same kind of visibility in the society as, um, as white women, for example. And so that's where my comment comes from. <clears throat> and as I mentioned, uh, it doesn't mean that I think that our struggles are exactly the same but I do understand I can relate to those struggles Mm -hmm. and I um, basically feel uh, sympathetic and the word that I'm looking for is I feel solidarity with the women of color
1: I'm curious has it changed much in your home country those feelings of being um, people in your home country uh, mistreating Ukrainian women And the way that you describe is, what what is different? Or or maybe Mm -hmm. it's not that much different from back then.
2: Well, um, Ukraine still remains a patriarchal country. Mm -hmm. However, I do see changes. I do see changes happening um, in the women and men of my generation and younger. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that uh, women are claiming more rights and, and just, uh, just to give you more context, uh, in Ukraine, women have a right to do everything. We have a right to vote, to work. Uh, there are no restrictions like that. Mm-hmm. But there are also um, heavy, heavily imposed responsibilities on women just from the society perspective. Yes, as a woman, you can do everything you want, get an education, uh, find a job, but also you're supposed to do this, this, and that because it's your responsibility as a woman.
1: What's the, this, what are the responsibilities that you're, you're alluding to?
2: I am referring to if you are married, then most likely taking care of the house and cooking would be considered your responsibility. Um, when you start having children, most likely you will be uh, responsible for being, you will be the primary caretaker of your child. Mm-hmm. And, and, and as I mentioned, uh, these ch- things are changing with the people of my generation and younger.
0: Mm-hmm. But
2: I grew up uh, with uh, that worldview where a woman was responsible for everything, but she also had the right to do everything.
1: So that's a that's hard to balance, <laughs> as we oh, all yes. know, if we have kids. <laughs> that's um, true. Yes. That's yeah. That's so you're basically doing. It's really not an equal situation. You're doing a little bit more work in that case, uh, exactly. Than, than your husband partner. Mm. Um. And how do you manage it? Because you have children, right?
2: I have a daughter. Uh, oh. Yes, she's six years old, and uh, my husband is also from Ukraine. I am lucky in a way that he is um, uh, he's someone who is opposes all, all the patri- patriarchal uh, uh, rules uh, that, are, that exist in Ukraine. He just mm-hmm. comes from a family where that's, that was not a rule that a woman has to do everything. So uh, in this sense, I, I have help. Uh, I have partnership where I feel that I can focus on other things and um, I can delegate or we can just decide who is responsible for what in our family so that I don't do
1: everything. You're yeah. very fortunate. That's awesome. That's so critical, yeah. right, for a career. Yeah. <laughs> for Definitely. A career, that's yes. Yeah. That's good to hear. And I'm kind of uh, curious here on my, my next set of questions. Um, So are there other similarities with women of color that you find uh, speak to you or that you can identify with on some level other than what you've already described?
2: Well, what I described is a a very broad and big uh, similarity, I realize it. So on the other end of this uh, spectrum, there is one small thing that I noticed uh, after I moved to the United States which was kind of a, which is kind of a silly observation, but it's true. Women of color, specifically African-American women uh, and Ukrainian women are similar in a way that they, that both groups like to look sharp and dress up and in my opinion, look bright. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's one thing I noticed compared to uh, other groups, uh, other um, groups of women in the United States.
1: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, a very feminine aspect. Yes. Which Mm -hmm. is something I've heard women of color talk about, and I mean, just recently, how difficult that can be, how difficult it can be in tech to appear Mm -hmm. feminine, depending on, you know, if you're, an engineer probably, or versus say you're in marketing. Mm-hmm. Um, I had one woman describe the the fact that she feels like she has to dress like a man at work mm-hmm. and she doesn't feel that way at all.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: do you find that case in your workplace at all?
2: I've been thinking about that a lot. Uh, I had an opportunity to work in the Bay Area where I definitely encountered that um, dilemma. Mm. I uh, I like my feminine side and I like to use makeup, for example. I like to wear heels and I stood out basically in my work environment if I was doing both makeup and heels. I think I just found a balance for myself where I can still cater to that feminine side and do all those things that I like, but also I took my time to analyze why. why do I like to wear heels? Why do I need to have the, uh, the, the makeup? Why do I need to wear makeup every day? And I made some like, small adjustments maybe. Maybe it's not necessary for, for me to wear heels every day. It's more comfortable not to, actually. One thing uh, also that helped me conclude the whole thinking process is an opinion that was expressed by one of the women tech leaders. She's the COO of Facebook, <laughs>
1: Oh, Cheryl Sandberg. Yes, exactly.
2: Yes. Uh, I liked what she said about women. That m- women are multidimensional. They can express themselves in the way they want. And we should not be attaching any labels to whether a woman is wearing makeup on uh, and she is a part of the engineering team where where it 's not common maybe where you are supposed to wear jeans t shirt and comfortable shoes. If a woman is wearing uh, heels and makeup let 's not put any labels on it and let women express themselves the way they want so that that really helped me to hear those words and I am not quoting her directly I am just um, making uh, inferences from what she said mm-hmm.
1: and that um,
0: helped
2: okay that did help a lot yes
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah that's uh that's interesting um yeah I kind of feel like well two things um it seems to me that the higher up you go the more leverage you have in how you co- come to work is what I've noticed <laughs> how you show that's up true and then on the flip side, you still have to be yourself, right? So mm-hmm. you make adjustments, as you said, right? You you mm-hmm. find ways to still express yourself. I mean, I, you know, I am feminine too on one level, but on the other, next, the other side, you know, I like to wear pants. I don't like to wear dresses. Mm-hmm. So um, that's always been a sore point for my family. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. uh, but I just, I don't know. It's uh, it seems like it's always a balancing act yeah on yeah. for me you know as well and it's like okay you know sometimes i just want to totally do a, you know like cut my hair super short and you know do something really different and it's mm-hmm. yeah you kind of have to have carry the attitude with it too right cuz i know there's one woman who's a cmo and she worked at uber and mm-hmm. she's uh she's not us born she's i forgot where she's born but she's she looks like she's african right Mm-hmm. And she worked with she's famous she worked with Spike Lee and whatnot the filmmaker and um she has no qualms about showing up big in her outfits and her clothing and her makeup mm-hmm. and but people love her she's charismatic and um so to me, she's kind of like a hero in that way because she mm-hmm. she's the example she's like the ultimate example of showing up your whole self. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does have a lot of power uh, at, at her level right now. Um, but in fact, I think she just went to Netflix, um, got a role at Netflix. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I look to people like that. And it's it, same thing as with Sheryl Sandberg with you. It encouraged me. Mm-hmm. Good. Um, so what do you think are some differences in what immigrants are experiencing in the workplace versus American women of color right now?
2: So this part I need some context and uh, history so that uh, my words are understood correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, I uh, mentioned uh, earlier that I participated in revolutions in Ukraine. A lot of our, a lot of the protests that Ukrainians had in the last several years are due to multiple reasons, but one. One main primary reason is because we felt oppressed by another country. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, this country continues to this, to this day, uh, claiming the right that they own us. And Ukrainians never felt that way. We always feel felt independent. We have our own language. Our culture is very rich. The language is uh, always a center of the protests. Is um, Actually, I shouldn't say that it's the only reason of the protest, but it's in the center of the protests. So Ukrainians, uh, there is a lot of division and uh, political manipulation based on what language you speak, whether you speak Ukrainian or Russian when you live in Ukraine. And the reason I'm saying this is back when we had protests uh, in June here in the United States, and I know mm-hmm. they still continue in some uh, places, I saw a lot of observations and posts uh, from my Ukrainian friends that were comparing what's happening in the United States to the protests that Ukrainians had over the past several years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people were saying that the issue of discrimination is manipulated by politics, just like the ling- just like the Ukrainian language is manipulated by the politicians in Ukraine. Mm. And where I'm going with this is that I disagree with that. I disagree that this is a good parallel and um, this is a good comparison, because. Mm. When you are a Ukrainian, you can make a choice. You can make choice, basically. You can decide whether you speak Ukrainian or Russian. Mm. And if we Ukrainians were persecuted on the basis of language, to the point that they, I know, families from long time ago that were sent to Siberia that were basically exiled to Siberia because, just because they follow Ukrainian traditions and speak the language. So there is a very rough history behind just speaking Ukrainian. Wow. Uh, again, where I'm going with this is that if you don't want to be exiled or persecuted or discriminated against, at least you can make a choice. You can speak you, cannot, you can choose not to speak Ukrainian, not to experience all of those consequences. When you are a person of color, when you're a woman of color, you have no choice because right. it's the way you look. It's the basic primary thing you cannot, and you don't have to change about yourself. That's where I see the biggest difference is yeah. that as a white woman, I can decide, I can choose what, what to do, not to be discriminated against. Mm-hmm. But as a person of color, you have no choice because uh, you are discriminated uh, based on the very basic thing that you cannot and you should not even be thinking
1: about changing. Wow, great insight there. That reminds me of the Mexican American experience as well because you know my mother's generation was taught not to speak Spanish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the people would get ostracized, and she's from. So she was from South Texas, and uh, so I grew up not learning Spanish. And mm-hmm. um, my grandmother spoke Spanish around me, but I didn't spend enough time around her to be able to catch on. I knew a little bit, but mm-hmm. uh, and then you know my my stepfather was Caucasian, so um, I didn't have the opportunity. But my generation was all about in college, the experience was you take Chicano studies, you take Latino studies, you take Mm -hmm. uh, Latin American literary courses, you know. Um, So there's a pride in the culture in my generation. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's a shame because I'm not fluent, but my oldest sister is. She had the opportunity to learn Mm -hmm. through family. Um, But yeah, always dealing with that issue of, you know, hide your culture it It doesn't feel good, you know, so I'm one yeah. of the people who went back and decided to to embrace my culture. And so there's some things that I do do for mm-hmm. Mexican American culture that's based uh, in Mexico, like Day of the Dead celebrations mm-hmm. that my siblings don't even do. Um, so that's a that's an interesting thing that you as a person who is has families from other countries or I mean, you, you're an immigrant, mm-hmm. you can still embrace some things, take things back that you had to give up in the past mm-hmm. but i'm sure when you go home you're you're from what you just told me you must be hyper aware of which language you're speaking
2: yeah well the things are changing now uh, i can choose to speak whatever language i want when i'm going back home
1: mm-hmm. but
2: But uh, it was a reality just several decades ago, decades ago. You had Mm -hmm. to really be careful uh, which language you speak. And you mentioned that, you mentioned something uh, I have a question about. Uh, You said that uh, if you spoke uh, Spanish, then you would be ostracized. Can you tell me more about that?
1: Oh, yeah. Basically, anyone who's got Spanish-speaking family members, they usually know this story. Um, I would say, um, you know, in the school environment, is usually where you hear this sort of thing happening, right? You would get punished in the school environment for speaking Spanish.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And even as in the past, uh, a long time ago, I used to be an ESL teacher. And it mm-hmm. was all about English only in the class as well, mm-hmm. right, with adult. And mm-hmm. I have to say, after getting a BA in education and studying about languages, linguistics, and reading about studies that were done in Arizona with children, Kids, I found out kids can actually learn two languages no problem. And in Mm -hmm. Europe, you see this all the time, right? They usually learn three. Yes. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just here in America that I hear this is such a big issue. And so I've always disagreed with Mm -hmm. English only, an English only mentality about learning languages. Mm -hmm. And because of the studies that I read about in Arizona where they had success teaching English and Spanish and they had. you know, a lot of crossover in the classrooms and the kids did really well. So it's a falsehood, basically, this myth that you should only learn English as an expat being, you know, being here as an expat, being an immigrant whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I fully support people holding on to their culture still, you know.
2: Mm-hmm. It's very sad to hear that uh, uh, children would even be punished. I know. Very sad. Yeah, I yeah. know the schools have changed their approach now. But uh, knowing, uh, understanding what you just explained to me also answers a lot of my questions uh, based on the conversations I had with some people from perhaps those generations that uh, were enforcing those rules Mm -hmm. on
1: children. And you hear it in the news today too. I mean, mean, things have Mm -hmm. kind of hit the fan (laughs) in our culture here in America with the Trump administration. And so I've seen stuff online where People were speaking Spanish at a store and other Mm -hmm. people, other white people in the store would get angry at these Latino families speaking Spanish. And, you know, to me, it's like, oh my God, I would be so outraged. Yeah. You know, because this country's built on immigrants, you know. Exactly. And, you know, you know, this history, slavery and everything else. So um, it's offensive to me, mm-hmm. you know. And I just think to myself, what would I do if I was in a store speaking Spanish and someone lashed out at me? That is something that needs to be thought out thoroughly because I know, mm-hmm. you know, inside I would be
2: you know, you know um, I've been thinking about this subject a lot as well, just because of everything I mentioned to you about speaking Ukrainian versus Russian. And uh, one thing that I've realized that me speaking a foreign language for someone is intimidating. You, uh, you brought up a very specific uh, situation uh, if someone lashed out at me or at you, uh, in the store for speaking your language, perhaps my reaction would be, "Why does me speaking my native language intimidate you? Mm-hmm. Just for the person who is lashing out at me to think about why they are having the reaction that they are having. Mm-hmm. But of course, we cannot expect for people to be understanding of that question or even wanting to answer that question. But for me, what I 'm trying to say is that I realize that that intimidates people. And it's not something I want to... I'm not going to make them feel better. It's my language. I'm going to speak my language.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would say the only time I would... I If I was speaking Spanish, the only time I would be very careful about that probably would be, depending on what state I'm in, because mm-hmm. some states are very racist and ha- people there mm-hmm. are more likely to be, to be violent. Yes, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm always aware of that. Um, and in California... Mm-hmm you know, we're kind of in a bubble here. Um, mm-hmm. Even though those sort of things happen. It's not as bad as, as other states. But you know, you pick up when people are, are feeling uncomfortable with your with your language. Is that mm-hmm. like an everyday thing in the store or at work or what, where are the places where that happens? Well,
2: just like you said, in California, we live in a bubble. So I have not experienced that in California. And plus, um, many times I don't think people even know what language I'm speaking. Funnily enough, uh, the only time when I when someone was had a hostile reaction to me speaking Ukrainian was not even an American person. I was with my daughter in a park and I was speaking Ukrainian with her. And then there was a lady who spoke Russian. <laughs> For some reason, she got very upset <laughs> that I am teaching my daughter Ukrainian. But um, she is from an older generation. And I have realized that an older generation, they watch TV channels that have a lot of propaganda. So mm-hmm. in a way, not her fault that she is exposed, that she is just exposed to all of that propaganda against the Ukraine, against Ukrainians and Ukrainian language. But that's um like a, a separate issue. It's, um I, I have not experienced a problem with me speaking ukrainian with anyone else in this country
1: what state were you in when that happened
2: that was in california up in the mm-hmm. bay area
1: mm-hmm. all right wow that's that's interesting <laughs> i still i'm still shocked every time i hear those kind of stories because yeah. i'm from la where it's so diverse and
0: mm-hmm. you know
1: uh it's just an everyday thing that you take for granted, the diversity there, right? Mm-hmm. You don't think it's different in the rest of California, but it is. They, there's, you know, little microcosms of differences mm-hmm. everywhere you go, you know? Exactly. So, yeah. so the, next, uh, the next question I had for you, why is it important to be on a podcast and what compelled you to join, join this one in particular in the first place?
2: Um, I think the biggest reason is uh, just feeling of solidarity. I uh, worked with women of color. I still do uh, in a professional setting. And sometimes uh, work relationships develop into friendships. And that's what happened uh, in my case. I um, developed friendly relationships with some of my uh, African-American co-workers. Mm -hmm. And I had a chance to learn a lot from them. I had a chance to basically like just uh, broaden my perspective and understand what they experience. And uh, I can give you a very simple example. For example, the queen and king culture in the African-American culture in the United States. I could not understand for the life of me why women in African-American culture refer to themselves as queens, some of them. Mm -hmm. To me, coming from my background, that was just immodest. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I was, I could not understand how someone can speak like that about themselves. It's just so immodest. (laughs) But (laughs) in my uh, um, friendships, through my communications with women like that, I have realized what that means. And um, I'm getting a little emotional here because I want them to call themselves queens and see themselves as queens. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I understand where it comes from. It comes from uh, feeling underappreciated, unnoticed. It comes from uh, the desire to be confident in who you are, in the way you look, and just accepting yourself the way you are. So so I just want, wanted to show solidarity and express that even being a Caucasian woman, I very much understand and can somewhat relate to the experiences uh, women of color are going
1: through. Mm -hmm. And did you actually ask these women at work, what does this mean to you? Or is this just kind of what you surmised through conversations?
2: I was afraid to ask that question directly. But uh, just like you said, I I inferred from my conversations. And then I started to read and watch. uh, I watched um, this Netflix uh, original uh, about Queen Bee, about Beyonce, Mm-hmm. Uh, and she talks about uh, the culture of uh, queenship a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that helped me understand this perspective. To answer your question, I didn't want to ask this question directly, but I feel comfortable talking about it directly now as I understand it.
1: Mm, queenship. Because- <laughs> I
2: love that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because now I can also explain why I perceived it uh, as a wrong thing because I come from a culture where a woman is taught to be modest and to always think about someone else before thinking about her own needs and serve other people's needs.
1: So, Yeah, I can identify mm -hmm. with that cultural background too. Mm
0: -hmm. In fact, I
1: was just listening to a gentleman who's been in coaching, career coaching for like, I don't know, probably 20 years or so. And he points out that Latinos in America, they're taught historically to just work hard. And if you work hard, long enough, hard enough, you'll be noticed. Mm -hmm. It's not the case, you know? So it's kind of similar. It's just like, you're there to serve. Um, And I just kind of chuckled because I just couldn't believe that he had my demographic down so well, because Mm -hmm. I struggled with those things myself. And Mm -hmm. then Kent finally realized, you know, through a lot of different work situations that that's, you know, always being modest is, doesn't work in the work world. (laughs) Right. And I'm not so sure that
2: men are taught to be modest. Uh, So (laughs) for me, that's the biggest question. Like, why am I supposed to be modest as a woman? What does that bring me? Like nothing. It's not about me in the end when somebody is teaching you to be modest. It's It's definitely not about my needs.
1: And then the other part of of some of that is how do you bring yourself out of that shell of being modest in the workplace Mm -hmm. and how do you develop it without seeming like a very cocky person, you know, which Mm -hmm. nobody likes that, right? Yeah. Yeah but men get away with it all the time. And then I, sometimes I've even seen, you know, where a woman will be coming out as being herself and being outspoken. Mm-hmm. And then people have issues with other women have issues with it,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> you know, and I, you know, it's the training. It's like myself, I have to turn off that switch that says that wants to be judgmental towards other women. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Cause I'm aware of it. And I just thought, they're just being themselves you got to give them the space to be themselves because mm-hmm. we're, we're just dealing with so many obstacles right that we got to push through um, exactly and cheryl sandberg talks about this as well yeah it's something definitely how do you deal with that at work how, how are you like how do you present and and you know show like be outspoken but at the same time manage like you know not coming off too cocky
2: Mm -hmm. I am still working on that. I'm in work in progress Mm -hmm. in that regard. I have to admit that I just recently, um, just several years ago, I have realized that I am still in that mindset that uh, I have to be modest. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because I had a chance to work uh, with many uh, wonderful women who showed me a completely different mindset and behavior. And uh, that's what started my thinking process. Why, what are my values? Who am I? And like I said, I'm a millennial on the older side, on the, the I think there is a term, elderly, millennial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so I started to think about who am I? Even at my age, I'm still rediscovering myself. Like what is the combination of what is the proportion of modesty and confidence I want to have? So I feel like I'm still trying to figure it out. And I mentioned uh, Sheryl Sandberg, uh, Sandberg's words that women are multidimensional. That's sort of, that is sort of a mantra that I have in my head that I keep repeating, that even if I come across as too confident and cocky, that's okay, I'm going to just accept that maybe I made a mistake in a meeting, maybe I came across as that person. I'll uh, just accept that I made a mistake, I'll move on. Mm -hmm. Or if I came uh, across as a shy personality for someone, that's okay too. I'm going to accept that and move on and just uh, redo, like just act differently from now on. And if I make a mistake again, that's okay. I'm going to move on from that because it's impossible to focus on your work and constantly analyze your behavior the way Mm -hmm. you come across. What helps me now in the times of COVID is that we all are remote. I mean, the jobs that I do, they can be done remotely. Mm-hmm. I work remotely now and I don't use my video a lot of the times in my uh, conference calls with my coworkers. What I realized that that creates a lot of comfort for me. I can focus on my work because I don't have to be thinking about how I come across to someone. I don't have to constantly keep eye contact, which is physically difficult for me. It just mm-hmm. creates... A, Physical tension for me. Mm. And I know how important eye contact is, but I I do want to feel comfortable too. So working remotely, not having to use video all the time, I feel like makes me a better employee because I am more focused. I am um, more efficient
1: too. And what about people in your workplace? Are they mostly without video when they're conversing back and forth with colleagues? Most of my
2: coworkers they don't use video. Some Mm -hmm. do uh, consistently. And I try to use video with them as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, But sometimes (laughs) on a bad day, I just uh, apologize and say, sorry, not today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've done that one too. (laughs) And,
2: And that's okay. It's not required to use a video. And I feel like again, it's just a whole different world for me from uh, when I had to work in the office and continuously talk to people face to face. I realized how draining that is Mm. for me personally, maybe not for everyone, but that drains my energy, Mm. uh, which I would rather preserve for something else.
1: Interesting. I know. I was thinking too, once folks start heading back towards their offices Mm -hmm. when whenever that's going to happen who knows that's going to be a big transition right because now women (laughs) they think about their hair their makeup their clothing you know uh, all these things that you you know filter through in a day and and i just thought oh god (laughs) yeah
2: i know i i think the same exactly the same thing there is uh, some anxiety involved here like thinking that oh I would have to apply more effort uh, again.
1: Yeah. And then on the flip side is like, I actually, I enjoy video because I do get to see the person's face. Mm -hmm. And I think I do like, you know, a little bit more of an animated experience, I guess, or, you know, connection. And even though there's all those little quirks when you're doing video, like keeping your eye on the camera and all, Mm -hmm. you know, all these little rules. It's just something I picked up over time, you know, at YouTube actually was, The place where everybody was on video, like nobody Mm -hmm. didn't use video, yeah. And and it, yeah, I admit it does add sometimes it can add a little bit more pressure, but um, I feel more fully engaged, I guess that's what
2: it is. No, I absolutely agree with you. It does help you understand uh, the other person's personality through video. If we can't do in, in person, then at least video helps you connect with the person more,
1: okay. Um how is your team dealing with corona in the workplace right now
2: my team uh our company our department is very distributed we have teams uh, in europe in uh, mexico all over the united states and a big part of our team is actually based in southern california in irvine or Mm -hmm. at least in the orange county area Mm -hmm. we all work uh, from home at this time there was an attempt to go back to office in um, shifts, uh, like to make sure that uh, not all of us are present in the office at the same time. However, many people decided to uh, decided against going back to the office because going back to the office requires mask wearing and just constantly being aware of what surfaces you're touching and uh, sanitizing your hands. To me and to from what i heard from other coworkers that is just an extra effort that you don't want to worry about when you can be in the comfort of your home and not think about those things mm-hmm. and based on what i hear from the executives is that we are being efficient and productive that that was a concern uh, when everyone went to work from home from being in the office all the time Uh, I'm sure that every executive will wonder what's going to happen to the team. Am I going to get the same results? But based on what I hear from our executives, they are happy with productivity. And uh, I joined the company in April. It's July now. So ever since I joined the company, I... Observed different stages of how people were trying to explain to me. Oh, uh, it's not normal for us. We're uh, we socialize, we play ping pong. Like you will experience all of the all of that at some point. And now, as I'm talking to people, everyone is just so comfortable at home. (laughs) nobody's telling me about how you know what what good times we had in the office. Mm. I, I feel like people have transitioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's mm-hmm. the key here people have transitioned and they feel comfortable where they are now and most importantly we are productive Do
1: you have any tips for mm-hmm. people who might be starting jobs soon um, and I know that's probably a rarity but in mm-hmm. the tech industry less so right it's going to be I mean there's I've heard there's an uptick right now in hiring um, which tends to happen in the fall. So what things, if anything, that can you think of that helped you transition into this role during the pandemic?
2: So one thing, if I, if I have to choose one thing only, I want to encourage everyone to remember that a lot of the learning that you have to do for the new job will happen on the job. Sometimes uh, we lack confidence and think, oh my goodness, I don't have all of the skills for this job. And there are so many good candidates on the market right now because of all of the layoffs, I'm not going to apply. But I want to encourage um, other women, if you feel that you have the right background for the position you are so interested in, Uh, I just encourage you to be confident and apply. And remember that you will learn a lot on the job. Even if you don't know some things, uh, think about the skills that you can transfer and not about the skills that match exactly the requirements the job description offers. That's what I learned on this job. I feel like I had a very good click with my interviewers. And before this interview and this job offer happened, I had a lot of rejections. I realized that the the only difference between all of my interviews before this one that gave me this job was that I really connected well with the interviewers. Just (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm personality-wise. That was one of the key things. And of course, having the right background. Coming into this job, I did not have exactly the same experience. I'm learning a lot, but I I do feel that I have the right background.
1: Mm -hmm. which I can
2: apply and learn all of those things.
1: Okay. And so once you got on board, what helped you transition into the role? Um, Were there any things that you did repetitively to help you transition into the role and make it Mm -hmm. a smooth ride? Because it's not easy starting a job from home, you know, and not Mm -hmm. going to the office. True. Um,
2: For me, the biggest difficulty was that While I work as a uh, project management office analyst now, and uh, I have the background in project management, there are some key components of my work that I did not bring from my previous jobs. Uh, Things like reporting, for example, creating reports in Excel, creating presentations in PowerPoint. I have Mm -hmm. skills, of course, uh, working on those things, but I needed to learn more. So I spent uh, quite a bit of time of learning. And I think that actually working, starting from home was, was a good thing because I was carving out time, like small breaks to learn on YouTube, on LinkedIn, um, how to prepare certain reports and presentations. I think that working from home actually gave me an advantage because when we are in the office, and we have a small break, like we go to get some coffee. Many, uh, often we will end up just talking to, your, to our colleagues. Or because
1: I was at home, I used that time to learn. Yeah, and plus you're not commuting. Exactly. So that can be a big chunk of time.
0: Yes. That you
1: can put towards learning. And exactly. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's great advice. Uh, how did you get into project management in the first place? Like, what what made you realize, like, okay, this is it. This is where I need to focus my energy. I am
2: um, an organized individual from my childhood. I remember mom. My mom uh, was finding little notes uh, in my um, clothes with lists of things that I have to do today. So, <laughs> I love it. So I was a project manager from. Uh, my old childhood, and when my daughter was born, uh, I started to feel like I can do much more. I was not in a managerial position before my daughter was born. I did not feel like I um, had had it in me to be a manager, to be a um, that kind of leader in the workplace. And uh, after three and a half years of experience of managing my daughter's schedule and teaching her basic things, how to use a spoon or a fork, and then teaching her things like what mortality is, that gave me a big confidence boost. And I have realized that I can do this in the work environment. As I was home with my daughter for several years, As she was growing up, I was taking classes on project management from UCLA. Uh, They helped me learn different aspects of project management. I also obtained a Scrum Master Certification during that time Mm -hmm. to help me understand how projects are managed managed in the tech world uh, these days. And um, I did bring some experience from my life in Europe as well. I worked in IT and uh, I think all of those things combined helped me be where I am now.
1: And where is, is your certification from UCLA?
2: It's from UCLA. It's um, the extension? extension department.
1: Yes. Mm-hmm. They have mm-hmm. a great extension department. Yes,
2: yes, they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I took
1: a PR and entertainment mm-hmm. when I was in LA there. It's really good.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah they,
1: I love their that department they have there. If you had one piece of advice for women looking to become a project manager analyst mm-hmm. or move into a, a manager role, what would that be? That one piece of advice.
2: I think it goes in line with what I mentioned earlier. One thing is uh, you will learn on the job. So be confident that uh, even if your skills uh, do not match 100%, 100%, you will have a chance to learn on the job. And I think that your employer will, uh, should offer you that opportunity to learn on the job. The other thing is probably just be confident and move on from the mistakes. Do not dwell on your mistakes because we all make them. I am talking a lot about it with my daughter right now that making mistakes is normal we just need to
1: accept it and move on that's good advice i'm curious though because some places it's like there some places that i as having spent so much time contracting are more forgiving for mistakes and other places are not <laughs> right yeah. and mm-hmm. I, I guess it, you know that might fall into categories of like how big the mistake was and whatnot, but, but is there, do you have any insights as to being in a workplace that maybe is less forgiving? I mean, me personally, if I'm thinking if you're in a place that is so unforgiving or publicly shames for mistakes,
0: it's Mm -hmm. probably
1: not the best place to stay. Yeah. But, Mm -hmm. um, do you have any, any perspective on that?
2: Yes, actually, I have experienced uh, work in my environment where a minor mistake was blown out of a proportion. And um, I'm, a pers- I'm a personality type that takes those things very close to heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think my advice is more about how you, we should deal with such things uh, emotionally ourselves. Because, of course, we have to ab- admit that we made a mistake dwelling on it and not forgiving ourselves for that mistake does not bring any good to anyone and to us in the first place. Mm -hmm. So admit, learn from it. Just try to be as much objective about it as you can. Think about things that you're going to do in the future to avoid making a mistake like that and move on from it for your own good, for your emotional health.
1: Yeah. And I think for uh lit from listening to managers over time too i that's one thing that did stick with me with one manager she said just do whatever you need to do to fix it so Mm -hmm. that it's not a reoccurring thing right yes Mm and because that will drive people crazy (laughs) of course Um, yeah Mm Oh, okay, so that's about it, Anya. Thank you so much for giving us so many stories and many stories, detailed information on your history and your perspective. I love listening to you talk um, and how you break things down. It's it's really like, it's wonderful. <laughs>
2: thank you so much, Monica. I really, really enjoyed our conversation too. Okay,
1: all right. Thank and you for until, inviting me. Yeah, until next mm-hmm. time. Um, and I, I do hope there'll be a next time um we'll see where you're at down the road and get a little yeah follow-up if, if you're interested first.
2: of course i would love to okay, okay. all right
0: bye bye